Uh, you want me to go ahead and do the intro, or you were were you thinking Please. you would? You, you can do. You should do it because you're uh, you're more prepared than I am today. Okay. Well, this week. Sometimes this I am, I guess, occasionally. Um, hey guys, welcome to the Create Slash Invent podcast, where we talk about creation, invention, and everything in between. Today we've got a really fascinating guest. He goes by Josh or Zap Wizard, which he makes all kinds of interesting props. And he's got one that we thought was especially interesting. He made a Mandalorian, like a prop handle, like I guess it's a throttle that you can actually use in a, um, like a VR, sim like a, actually use it as a, a controller as well. So it's, it, to me, it was just amazing how, how good a, a prop it was and it was actually usable, which, which you don't see that a whole lot. I, I, or maybe you do, Zap Wizard, but it's, uh, you know, anyway. It's, it's what I strive for. We thought it was awesome. So, uh, so, so, Mr. Zap, Mr. Zap, should we, should we call you Mr. Zap? Is that? Um, Zap's fine. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, um, so now you live, I believe, in in Austin, correct? Austin, Texas. Yeah. And yep. you know, listeners may think that Pat somehow arranged this, but actually, uh, actually, it was me. I've never even been to Austin, Jeremy. Oh, really? I'm up near Dallas. Is Austin <laughs> weird, as they uh, as they say? Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, I've had the privilege of participating in plenty of weird events. Uh, we had the Alamo Drafthouse Movie Theater down here. I did two uh, very unique events with them at one point, and uh, have had a lot of fun with all with all sorts of things down here. Nice, nice. And you, you were probably um, Matt Perks probably probably had the best camera setup. I'll, I got to give him that. But as far as like actual technical. Um, preparedness for the show. It's it's amazing. You got a you got OBS running. You got um, you know your your camera here and your main camera. You got one facing up, and um, yeah, CAD screens, everything like that. It's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, those of you listening can't necessarily won't necessarily see that, but it's a uh, it's pretty pretty cool. I can see it, Jeremy. So, That's all that matters. Yeah, we can see it. Well, it's amazing what I could do these days. I got you know old old iPhone that my mom just had to get rid of her three G phone, right? And so using hers sure. as an auxiliary and got a, a it's easy to get cameras nowadays all over the place yeah well yeah you know on, on that on that note you know I, I know pat and i've talked about this but i'm actually uh actually like a hair just about ready to get a phone with the data plan so i'm you know i'm no about to step yeah i think i'm gonna step into the 21st early 20, uh, 20s 20, the late 20th know. century the late 20s. I, I was using my phone to lidar scan my my front yard and do uh, planning and of like landscaping and stuff. Nice. <laughs> well, I'm a little be, I'm a little beyond the data plan. A friend tried to lidar scan my head with an i with an iPad, and it came out all wrong. It was the most terrifying thing you've ever seen. One of my ears was. Oh. I scanned my face and made a, a a COVID mask that was custom fit, 3D printed at one point. It it looks ridiculous, but it was very comfortable. <laughs> Hopefully we won't have to think about that quite as much in the in the future. Yep, yep. But yes, yeah, so now now you're what 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 is your background exactly? I know you make awesome props and stuff, but what's what's your what do you what do you do for for work or fun or what's how'd you get into this? Yeah, so um, I went to school for electrical engineering. Uh, I often tell people I switched from Legos to electronics about age nine. Um, got my first job as an intern at AMD. Uh, where they paid for college, and I was doing robotics, uh, instrumentation and control was my degree. And then uh, I actually completely switched over professionally to doing um, mechanical engineering. I got a job as electronic technician at a company, but I'd already been doing, for my own personal projects, I had already been designing things in CAD. 
Uh, I wasn't using solid modelers like I do professionally now and for my own personal projects. I was using uh, TrueSpace, which is an old school uh, polygon modeler. And um, that led to a job where I was doing mechanical design, product design, and so now my official title is product design engineer, where I'm doing both electrical and mechanical. Uh, I design products that uh, are in radio frequency and antennas and things. Some of them will have uh, 1,500, 2,000 components inside the 3D model I, where I design things. I have, I, I have taken the Gerber files and I actually render them in Photoshop and create a photoreal version of the PCB before we even make the PCB. Um, every resistor, every zip tie, every wire is, is all 3D modeled into these complex assemblies that are built in small quantities, so they have to be built right the first time. Sure. Well, can you can you tell us can you tell us where you work? Or is that you know would you prefer to keep that? Uh, nah, I prefer to keep that. Uh, we we do we we're now a I must in a in a small company that's uh, out been out here that used to be family owned and now we're uh, part of a a bigger subgroup of radio frequency products that are that are range from everything from what the FCC would use to say uh, to. F find a bad transmitter uh up to up to military and it, it ranges all over the place and then um that's that sounds awesome yeah so it's a, it's a fun job it lets me use a cad that's uh, i get to use solid edge which is uh, not to be confused okay. with solidworks that's basically the official title because everybody confuses it that way um and then that's pushed my own prop making to the point where i've always wanted real props uh, back here, I have a whole bunch of, of you know, uh, Fallout props, but amongst them is real antiques that I've collected because I actually like things that feel and look real. I don't want something that looks like a toy. I, I really don't like a lot of the toy pieces. I don't collect, like, say, any of the little, the little pop figures or anything like that. Um, so when I go for Star Wars props, um, I have, and I'll switch over here. You know, so I went and got the field marshal gun that is, you know, a real metal kit, you know, that has actual moving parts, uh, thermal detonator that is, this thing is made of milled brass, but is functional. Oh, wow. oh that's awesome. Wow. <laughs> uh, so these are the only kind of props that I, that I collect, and then at the same time, I like to make my own, which is kind of what led to the, uh, the lever that, uh. I guess I call it the uh, Razor, Razor Crest control lever that uh, Grogu Baby Yoda is so interested in. Right, right, yeah. I mean, I saw that a lot of the stuff on your channel. You're, you're making kits, but it yeah. looks like this one. Basically, you bought the uh, like the handle, like the the whatever the thing on. Oh, yeah, the only part I bought was the ball on the end that Grogu plays with, and there have been several pop makers making that ball, which is just an aluminum piece with a little blue top, uh, which we now, of course, know is supposed to be reminiscent of R2. And then I found, um, and I've been. I, I haven't. Hmm? I haven't seen the show. So oh gosh, <laughs> I haven't seen the show. So, uh, well, Grogu's very interested in in, in this little uh, this little blue uh, uh, topped ball. Uh, so what I when I did is add on a. Uh, I found a guy on the replica prop form. I wasn't interested in the ball necessarily, until I found a guy on the replica prop form who added a shaft and did a little bit three D printed base. He just made his so it was a fridge magnet thing. Nothing nothing functional. It was just a better way to display the ball is what he wanted. 
Um, so, so do you actually, you say a fridge magnet, yeah. what, was it actually magnetic? Like yep. you could actually stick it on? That's exactly what he did. Is, he made, big, he made the big, base magnetic. That's a big fridge magnet. Yeah. He well, made how else are you going to have a gig- throttle gig- for your refrigerator, Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. As soon as I saw that, I decided that uh, that was a really cool idea. I went and 3D modeled the base myself. I made it a little more accurate to the movie. That's, that's covered in the replica prop forum thread. And then um, I'd already experimented with aging aluminum to do the gun. Um, I've done my Beskar uh, in aged aluminum. And so uh, a new technique that I did that I haven't seen somebody do, which is, is to take, this is just Nassau brand aluminum plumbing tape. And it is okay. wrapped around a 3D print. Um, so let me... And the, the 3D print, mm-hmm. so, the, so the base of this, basically you've got a You've got the the ball on the top. You've got a shaft, and then on the bottom you've got a kind of like a semicircular base yep. that you've put this. You said this plumbing material on. Yeah. Kind of weathered it. Yeah, I, we- I weathered it with a with a chemical aging and just some some uh, some Brillo. The base is solid stainless steel, uh, and there's some stainless steel plates inside the 3D print. So this is actually heavy. This this weighs over a pound. It feels real. It moves correctly. Um, and I got the plates from Sendcut Send. Uh, and then there's a th- little 3D printed base, and the 3D printed base has magnets, a hard mounting point, uh, rubber feet, um, and then it holds the electronics, which is a little uh, Trinket M0 that is inside there, uh, which is cool because it's completely self-contained other than the USB cable. Yeah, that's awesome. So so could you put it on your fridge if you... If it you is magnetic. I could, it probably would stick to the fridge. Um, yeah, so this is actually wired up as a uh, joystick throttle. Oh yeah, I can um, see it moving. And I use Circuit Python, which allows this to be a full HID device. So this just shows up as a joystick. Uh, there's no additional anything on the PC that is that is required for this to work. So I'm you know I'm familiar with with um, making discrete pushes you sure. know on buttons. I you know I've, I've done that kind of thing. But as far as the the lever goes, you've got actually an analog signal. You know as far as you know from one to zero to yep. two fifty five yep. maybe. I don't really know. But how does how does the computer handle that exactly? So, how does I'm that switch over to CAD. Inside the inside the assembly is a set of gears. So the middle shaft or the shaft turns the middle gear, and then next to it is an identical uh, tooth gear, and that's wired to a potentiometer. Uh, I found I've been using these potentiometers on my Pip Boy project. They're from Borns. They're, they're kind of made for guitars and things and instruments. They're a 360 turn potentiometer, so they still zero to 255 as far as your ADC is concerned, but they can actually turn past zero and keep going. Um, I'm not using it in this case, okay. but it's three millimeters thick, and a little 3D printed shaft hooks up to it. It's a lot smaller than any of the regular board mount potentiometers you might find. So this is all all in the base of the of yep. the handle. And this this potentiometer, when you say that, basically it's giving a voltage signal back to your yep. your trinket, which is like an yes. Arduino board, and that trinket translates that into a signal that the computer can can yeah. use. Yeah, yeah. The trinket M zero right. is actually running uh, Circuit Python, so the code is actually really fairly simple, less than sixty lines, and it could even be smaller than that without all the comments. Um, the only thing I'm really doing is one pin for the for the throttle, one pin to run the LED, just so I know it's actually alive. And then all this taking in is ranging the 0 to 255 to a minimum and maximum. And these are the numbers that, that the computer is expecting, which I think is is actually 65. So so the so the mm-hmm. computer, 
like with the normal joystick output, the computer expects a numerical input yeah. to it. I, I guess that's what that's what always kind of threw me is that you know when you set that up with the computer, it knows it's getting some sort of serial signal from the trinket. Is that is that right or? Uh, it's well, it's doing it entirely over USB. In this case, it's it's showing up the same as a joypad or or any USB joystick would a steering wheel or any any of anything like that. Um, it's not analog at the point w other than the uh, the potentiometer. Um, the only thing I'm doing a little bit special is that I'm automatically calibrating it at boot up um, and then mapping the ranges to the values the computer expects. Okay. Yeah. And it looks like there's a, a, a joystick library that handles yep. the, I guess, the actual yes. communication. Yeah. Is that, is that, uh, that's that one right? reason I use CircuitPython. Okay. Um, I used to do almost everything in Arduino. I've kind of switched over to CircuitPython because uh, it does an incredible amount of stuff. Uh, inside very small amounts of code, and it's mostly because there's a huge supporting amount of of, of libraries to go with it. I'm sure you could, there's an Arduino library that does joystick control, um, but I found this to work really very easy. I, all I have to do is import basically the ADC, the uh, analog and digital, and then the then they have a gamepad controller, so I can actually wire other pins and and uh, in my uh, I've open sourced this in the in the 3D print. I actually have some of the pins exposed through the 3D print. So if you wanted to put this and wire extra buttons to it, you could, or you could just run another M0. Your your choice after that. Right. So so this this is entirely a. I guess you're using it as, as a throttle. Is that is that right? I mean, or is it is it something something else? Yeah. Uh, I don't. I didn't end up using it too much other than the, really the video that I made of it. Um, it can be fully used as a as a throttle, um, which so I you know I got a little VR set up with a with a regular uh, joystick, and um, this became the throttle that I was using for uh, uh, Star Wars Squadrons, and it, it works really well for that. As far as I have a middle detent, so this actually holds its position in the middle. It's and then the the speed limiter is another component inside that is geared so that this holds its position because this is actually quite heavy i mean it's a stainless stainless steel rod with a ball at the end and it's right. a big lever that speed limiter that's like a door hardware is that is that correct or how does that how does that work uh door cabinet hardware it's used in other basically aspects as a part of mcmaster so a speed limiter is actually a really simple device it is uh it's inside here it's just a little tiny thing it's not going to show up on camera um but it is a uh two plates with an oil in the middle a lot of times silicone so because they can vary the amount of uh, tension in the oil and so what all it is 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 basically providing a, a set amount of friction in this case this is a is five pounds of of torque basically is what it's providing resistance for okay it, i was okay. hoping it would make this actually hard to move so that it was a little more um so that it felt a little more real as far as like you're pushing some engine. But this is such a big lever arm that all it really does is actually hold, is provide the holding force so that it doesn't droop. I thought it was really cool that well, yeah. the way you did the detent thing. And I guess for those that don't don't know this, you know, the detents basically there's like a, like an indention on the internals and it basically a, a spring pushes yep. the ball up into it and stops it kind of, kind of stops it enough so it won't go, right? Yeah, so ball detents, are kind of a little bit of an art. In this case, I'm using, a, this is another part from McMaster. Uh, so I'm using a ball detent that's on a screw so you can adjust the amount of uh, force and then I have just little gaps in the 3D print that line up with the ball at 
either end and in the middle. If I wanted to, I could, for example, provide a ratcheting effect where I had a whole bunch of these, right? And you kind of click through them. Um, so anything you find that, that kind of does that, that's what they're using is typically as a ball detent, which is just a ball at, on a, on a, oh, at the end of a spring, similar to what you see inside a ratchet, inside the ball socket of a ratchet. Okay. Uh, that's really all there is to it. So basically the, the, ball, the, the ball goes up in the, the yep. hollow part. And holds it there, kind of, kind of loosely, so you can pull it out, but it's going to stay there if you just, you just leave it. Well, because it's spring loaded, as soon as you try to start moving, it's going to push in, and you're going to feel that little bit of force, uh, tactile, a little bit of tactile force when it when it hits that spot. Right. Yeah, it's a really, really uh, beautifully engineered inside of it. I, I think that's, I think that's really cool. Now, now the the prints. Did you print that yourself, or did you have somebody else three D print it? Um, so I now, fortunately, at, at my uh, place of business, I convinced them uh, within the first week it was available to pre-order a Formlabs Fuse 1. So we had already been previously using four production parts um, using uh, service bureaus to make uh, SLS 3D printed parts. A lot of things that people don't realize about get access to SLS, they know about FDM 3D printing, which is what I basically just call at-home 3D printing, even though there's professional FDM 3D printing. And then pe some people are becoming more familiar with SLA 3D printing, where you got the laser um, curing the, the prints, because there's now printers that are, that are low cost for those. The catch with, uh, or what I love about SLS 3D printing, is the, uh, the actual part geometry because it's built as um, layers in a, it's basically built up layer by layer by layer, 0.1 millimeter at a time. It's a, a, a bed of powder goes down, a laser melts the stuff together and another bed of powder goes down. What it means is you have no supports required. You have unlimited geometry and you have a much more uh, monolithic end material that is almost as good as injection molded plastic. So you don't have any layer lines uh, per se. You, you can kind of see them at the end, but they're so small that it's, it's not a big deal. And so like, for example, this is a part that I've designed. Uh, we kind of give away at work sometimes. This is a you know, a gear puzzle that you might see on, on Thingiverse, but this is not, no assembly required. This is printed in one conti one continuous print. All I gotta do is clean the powder out. These are fully captured wow. pieces inside there, so. Those are two fairly large gears and four, maybe three, three smaller gears. Yeah, so it's, it's basically a differential gear set up with three gears, uh, 45 degree gears it's around a central shaft. Equivalent of the, you know, the parametric gear that everybody used to print on FDM printers four years sure. ago, the sure. planetary gears and the... Yeah, and Form Labs, this is one of the first parts they ask you to print. This is a crab, a little crab that uh, they like to... So this isn't one I designed, but oh, yeah. everything is pre-attached. So this prints is one thing, and everything articulates and moves. Wow down to the little fingers it's, it's hard that's, to that's kind of amazing. show on camera so how much how much is one of these printers um so when they announced it they announced it as a ten thousand dollar 3d printer and that was the price of the printer uh in the end you're you're talking about like 35k once you get the printer all the accessories you need to use it but then you also need a bead blaster uh their their sift which lets you depowder the parts uh, which is actually in an industrial, even in a small business, not that much compared to a CNC machine or anything like that. And the parts you get out of it, 
we use now every single day um, for all sorts of things, for brackets, for jigs, for actual functional parts that are on devices like uh, clamps, for example, for a cable, something like that. Uh, Anything you you would inject, you would have injection molded and paid a huge amount of money to actually go and uh, make the molds for, we do on there. And then I get to have fun with it by actually printing my own parts. <laughs> Not for, I mean, because the parts, instead of being, um, so in m- most FDM printers, you know, print PLA, that's not a long lasting plastic. Eventually it's going to get brittle, crack. It's not, it's, and you could go ahead and then print nylon, print an ABS. Um, the Fuse One uses, uh, by default, nylon 12. They have some other materials now. Uh, nylon 12 is a, a very high quality nylon. Uh, people think people are familiar with nylon for zip ties, uh, for example. Think how long you've seen a zip tie last outside. They they actually last outside in the weather for 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 a decade before they start cracking. And so and then we actually go in and treat the parts and everything so that they actually last when they're when they're an outdoor part we, they last for that. And the only issue the only trade off we've had is the parts are a little more brittle than an injection molded part. That's the only trade off we've ever had with it. That looks awesome. Well, you know, last uh, last guest we had on, uh, Pat actually ended up buying one of his machines. So, so Pat, you're thinking about buying one I of did. these? Uh, I saw the he was a the pick and place machine. He, <laughs> yeah, and Stephen was a an employee at Form Labs before uh, he yeah, started yeah. his pick and place company. That's hmm. a interesting. That the, uh, this topic that's actually one reason a few weeks. Later. That's what pushed me to to get my boss to sign up for it the first week was that. I know how much effort Form Labs puts into their machines working the first time. Yep. They're not releasing a new 3D printer every quarter, <laughs> um, and just calling it Rev 3.5. I I I know that they were, the, and we have it, it's been working awesome for us. Uh, the the only issues we've had, they've resolved like quickly, and then so that so now I'm able to make things. Uh, so pull up my. Uh, this is this is my ultimate project, the Pip Boy, which cool. I have videos on. This thing's been going on for nice. five years more. It might be a good time to uh, stop for our coffee break, and maybe we could talk about that. Sure. And maybe some other stuff. Maybe some stuff you you don't necessarily go over on your YouTube channel. If you uh, anything sure. else you want to talk about, sounds sure. It sounds great to me, Jeremy. So yeah, we'll go ahead and out of our coffee break. We'll uh, you know give our patrons a shout out, and we'll be we'll be right back. So. Are you doing the theme song, Jeremy? Hey, everybody. Welcome to... Frank? Oh, well, uh, you can if you like. Or do you? Please. Okay, sure. I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. I'm confused. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the coffee break. Uh, I'm here with Jeremy, and my good friend Jeremy, he's drinking something here. I'm drinking something. I don't something. know what it is, though. I'm drinking mostly water mixed with lemonade. Because it's like like water little calorie lemonade. That's water. That's a terrible Arnold Palmer. It's, is it is, but it's like. it's like that's it's a, like a low it's like a low calorie drink without the um, artificial sweeteners and stuff. Instead of so, the iced tea, it's it's uh, water. I'm drinking something that's terrible for me, Jeremy. Was that this coffee? is a latte made with? Well, it's almost empty. This is a latte made with freeze distilled whole milk. So it's it's more milk than regular whole milk. It's milk with less water in it. <laughs> Isn't that called cream? I I there's a problem. Heavy cream and half and half in America are ultra pasteurized, and regular okay. whole milk is just pasteurized. It's at a lower temperature, so they taste different when you buy them at the store. This tastes more like milk, 
but it has more of the fat and sugars oh. and things. It's pretty delicious. I've I, I only learned about it about a week ago, and now I'm hooked on it. It's about eight thirty where you are though. So is that actually like caffeinated coffee? Are you? Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I... what time do you think? What time do you think you'll go to bed tonight, or or tomorrow morning? I, th- I think I'm going to go to bed earlier tonight because I woke up weird today. Didn't oh, okay. work out the way I expected it to. I have a question for you, Jeremy. Yes, yes, Pat. What is it? Can you tell us our top five patrons? From I can if, you, if if you will keep uh, keep track for me. If you'll count on your fingers. All right. So so first of all, we got Carl. He's uh, yeah, Carl, one of our one of our Patreons, alphabetically number one, I believe. Michael Sizer. Am I going to verify that too? Well, that it's that you're in alphabetical order. Or am I keeping he's, track? Of he's that? the one on top. He's the one that comes up on top. So I assume it's alphabetical. So okay. Or maybe just Patreon likes him. I don't really know. But anyway, I got Michael Sizer, Raptor, creatively spelled. Christina Kearney, which I suppose would be after Carl, but should be before Raptor. So I guess it's not alphabetical. This does not at all. seem alphabetical. Jeremy. All right, so so we got Stuart Morrow, Brian Roses, and Positive Waves. Is that is that seven? Okay, so that's five. So I'm going to say you did a good job, Jeremy. Thank you so much for your support. It's really really means a lot that you guys are willing to put your hard earned cash towards towards our interviewing of awesome people. And yeah, just uh, it's, it's it really, really cool. does really awesome. All right, so Pat, if somebody did want to support us as a Patreon, what would they do? If you would like to become a patron of the Create Invent podcast, you can go to, and I'm looking at this here to make sure I get it right. It's patreon.com slash create invent. All one word. No extra slashes. That's right. No slash, even though we say Well, there's the one after patreon.com. Patreon. not in between create and invent. Patreon.com slash create invent. Because we are the Create Invent podcast. So it is true. Thanks, and Jeremy, thanks. if somebody doesn't want to pay us money, which is fine, I'm not mad if anybody doesn't want to pay us money. How else could they help us out? So first, they first of all, you could you could leave a comment wherever you listen and or or watch. You know, YouTube's great, SoundCloud, um, and that means you uh, can tell us why we're wrong and how wrong we are about Spotify. Something. Are there comments on Spotify? I don't, I don't really know, but I don't you know, know anything you could do to to share, rate, rank. Whatever, any sort of uh, yeah. interaction, like would... dislike, thumbs up, upvotes on Reddit, any of that stuff. Is, any of it, we appreciate it a lot. We, we love it. I mean, we really do. Pro- probably the bad. Smile. Every time I get an email that says somebody liked your video or your comment, I'm like, this is fantastic. <laughs> That's right. So, it's true. anyway, we'll uh, we'll get you back to your regularly scheduled program, right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome back from the coffee break. We're here still with uh, Josh Zapwizard, and I believe he's going to show us a little bit more about his fantastic Pip-Boy prop from uh, Fallout. Uh, when Fallout 4 got announced, even before it was released, uh, they showed the Pip-Boy in their uh, launch videos. That's when I started this project. Um, and and when was Fallout 4 released? I, I... I never even at least played, five I years ago now because I've been working on this for five years. And the um, Pip Boy, it's basically like a like a gauntlet that you slide your hand into, and it's got like a PDA yep. on it. Is that is that right? Yep. Okay. So in game, it's basically your smartwatch. It's just uh, imagine a smartwatch designed in the 1950s. It's nuclear powered, and that's why it's so big. Um, so that when I saw I I've already had played the previous Fallout's and there was a Pit Boys in those Fallout's they weren't as practical to me as this one I also didn't have the CAD skills back then so I decided when this 
got announced, I started designing my own. And my goal has been, as one reason it's taking so long, this thing is going to be 100% functional. If it does it in the game, this thing is going to do it, pretty much. Uh, so this is my mechanical mock-up. It doesn't have any electronics inside yet, necessarily. Um, but like, for example, having the holotapes mechanism eject, which it does in-game. Having the holotapes, which are small little kind of cassettes that are in-game. Uh, this one actually is electronic. So it's got a little moving door like a floppy disk has. And inside there's a light. And this is this one's just a mock-up prop that just lights up. The real one is actually going to transmit infrared data via IR codes. Oh, neat! Um, so you where can, does it, where does it transmit between between what? Uh, between this and the Pip Boy, between the hollow tape and the Pip Boy, so that you know which hollow tape got loaded in. Uh, it, the the actual oh. hollow tape uh, isn't going to contain much data. You might be able to put like an, an a, a log file or an audio clip or something like that and have that get transmitted. Uh, but instead, it's going to be more that you load it and the screen is going to switch over to whichever holotape you loaded, uh, and that'll be preloaded in memory. Um, oh. I've done a lot with this to, uh, in the game, there's a kind of a docking connection, electrical connection, that is on a uh, ratcheting mechanism, which kind of pulls out. I've got oh, that partially working. It. Yeah, so, so it actually clicks and there, there's an actual ratchet in there. And retracting mechanism. I have a a helical twisting piece that deploys uh, a USB connection and hides it so that it's game accurate when it's hidden. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Game uh, accurate, and then all but the, it also works in real life. Yeah, this is and it's game accurate feeling. The, the buttons are clicky. There's bald intents that are that are all snapping oh, yeah, the into place. The ratcheting you were talking about. Yep, exactly. The uh, the radio knob on the front is geared in such a way that when you turn the knob, it actually moves the radio dial slowly. It has a rad gauge on here with an actual analog gauge meter. And then inside is a electronic dosometer. It's gonna have a microphone, a speaker. Um, it's got a NAV switch. Like an, like an actual, actual, actual dosometer? Actual dosometer. I, have a, I do have a video of that. And that's another secondary Fallout project. So this is another mechanical. This is well. This is in the mechanical mock-up. This is my Fallout scientist dosometer. Uh, so this is a pocket-sized in in game. The characters wearing this. Uh, the scientist characters are wearing all wearing this in their pocket on their lab coat as a uh, as a dosometer. Uh, so I've designed this one. It's uh, initially was using an Arduino code running on an M on an MSP430, and I actually had almost most of that working, and I have it all prototyped. Um, and ran into some roadblocks. I really didn't like the way you had to load the code onto the MSP430. It worked great in prototype. In production, it was a nightmare, as far as like trying to actually get it loaded. So I'm thinking about redoing this in in a uh, in Circuit Python. Uh, but in either case, this this even though it's pocket sized, uh, being what three inches wide and uh, or four inches wide, two inches tall, and only an inch thick, it's actually one of the smallest Geiger counters that are out there. Uh, but inside this little metal tube is a real Geiger tube, a pretty large one that's actually fairly sensitive. Um, and I found a very small circuit called the uh, Pi G, like as in Pi Pi Guy. Uh, 
that uh, somebody released that's just based on an F uh, based on a five 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 timer being a, a voltage amplifier to get to five hundred volts to drive the uh, the Geiger tube. Five hundred. Uh, Good grade. It's five hundred volts <laughs> at an extremely tiny amperage. Yep. In fact, you got to put a so mega ohm resistor on it to read it with a with a a volt a voltmeter, or you just collapse the signal anyways. And that's actually that's what you have there is actually running at 500 volts. Uh, the prototype the is uh, over on my uh, my electronics bench, but this one is hollow right now. But this has a real mechanical okay. switch, and then the display will be a full real gauge, exact same motor that I'm using on the Pip Boy, which is this little tiny dime sized. Uh, what's called an air core motor. Uh, most people aren't familiar with them. They're really hard to drive. I had to learn how to get it to work like three or four times in, in using different drivers. What they are is two horizontal, horizontally opposed magnetic coils surrounding one magnet. And so if you just think about it, you charge one coil, the magnet's going to align to that one coil. You charge the other coil, it's going to align to the other coil. And now to get anywhere from zero to 360 degrees, you either charge oh, one coil positive or one coil negative. Uh, and you have to do the sine cosine, which I had to kind of re go back and relearn all this, uh, in order to, to set the actual angle. Um, but once you actually get the code for that, uh, it works pretty well. In fact, that's what's running on my... I'll switch over my cameras here. Mm -hmm. So would you say it's a form of a stepper motor? It's similar. You drive it, it kind of like a stepper motor. You use a dual H-bridge uh, driver. So this is my Radiation King radio, which is another Fallout prop. This is what I'm working on currently. And so this actually has the air core motor inside. Hmm. Uh, so this, this works very oh, much yeah, like an analog dial. I initially was going to use a stepper motor for this project, but I just when I... Put a stepper motor in here and actually tested it. Uh, when you run a stepper motor really slow, it is very much in steps. That's why it's called the stepper motor. Mm. So I I went and then bought a like a, a 360 turn stepper motor that said it had 800 steps. Thinking okay, it's gonna be smoother. It when you're still when you're running it really slow, like you might be tuning a dial, it doesn't work that way. Where an air core motor is analog. Really? Uh, it's being driven like an analog motor, and once you get the code working. Uh, the only issues you run into is there's a little bit of funniness when you get near the coordinates. That was the thing I had to learn, and you need a proper dual H-bridge driver that has separate polarity control from speed control. That was the, the key to getting that to work. And now, now it works perfectly smooth, and the only stepping steppingness I'm actually getting in there is a little bit of jitteriness. I'm running the code, and i got to optimize it, that I'm actually sampling using an ultrasonic 80 kilohertz microphone on a custom circuit board I made. This is a, a PDM ultrasonic microphone, meaning it's digital, and it's sampling that uh, 512 times at 80 kilohertz, and it's actually detecting a 1960s ultrasonic remote control. Now, those are the remote controls that when you hit the button, that's what, why we used to call them clickers. Yes. So this has a nice, really satisfying clicking sound. Um, it's really quite loud in person. And then inside, it's purely mechanical. Inside there is an actual metal rod that is vibrating. And I know not everybody uh, could see this. Hmm. That's actually an old yep. remote control for a television. Yeah, so this is a Zenith Space Zenith Command right Remote. Yep, Zenith Space Command Remote. This is an authentic one from eBay. 
Um, I also got a much dirtier one that I uh, scavenged some parts from. And as far as I know, I'm the first person to get one of those working with a modern microcontroller where I actually detect the actual buttons. There's another guy on YouTube when I was doing my research to try to see if anybody had done this or, or, or get this working and trying to figure out how to read an ultrasonic signal. It's actually, there's the ultrasonic range finders that every hobby kit has are extremely common. And that's the first thing I tried. But they all have, they cut off, they all have cut off frequencies that are really narrow so that they work great as a range finder. It wasn't until I finally searched DigiKey and actually started looking at the microphones and found this really cool, I can't remember the name of the brand, but it's the SPH-064-1LU4H1. Uh, this is the only one I found that is actually, it's basically 100, 100 hertz to 80 kilohertz of sensitivity. And it's actually, it has, has gain at the ultrasonic frequency ranges. Then I had to learn how to do... Uh, and that's actually, that's something I, I guess I should say with my projects. I'm most of my projects is me trying to learn something. Uh, all the Pip Boy, all the Radiation King is me learning Python. The ultrasonic remote was me learning how to do FFTs. Um, something I'd never done before. Fast Fourier transform. Maybe I said that wrong, but uh, no, you've got it. So this that's something I had to learn how that they actually work. How they. Uh, Process, how to process the data out of them. I'm amazed it's running on a Pi Pico. Uh, so my both the Pip-Boy and the Radiation King use a Raspberry Pi Zero as the OS core and running the audio and the heavy stuff, and a Pi Pico running all the analog, GPIO, and in this case it's actually sampling the, uh, the ultrasonic remote. Uh, it's it's I'm kind of pushing the edge of the speed on it. The amazing part is microcontrollers are so cheap that for five bucks now I can put another one in, and that one can do the ultrasonic completely separate from the rest, and they can all talk to each other and 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 all run at full speed, and and that's probably what I'll end up doing. Very cool. So so your all of your Fallout things can basically talk to each other ultrasonically. Is that kind of the end goal of all all of this? No, th this was more me making the the, the radio from the uh, this this 1950s style radio. The radio uh, actually works in such a way it doesn't it doesn't won't, won't come across on audio over here very well. Actually, it actually tunes like a real radio. So I wrote code that makes this feel live. When you it's playing a playlist of radio stations and it actually distributes them across the dial. So if you have ten, you put ten radio stations in a folder, mm. that folder becomes a band kind of like AM, FM uh, bands. And you can switch bands, and then you'll have 10 new radio stations. So you switch into the next band, you might have 15 new radio stations. And then when you tune across these stations, there's fuzz in the middle. When you get uh, near a station, the volume comes up, and the distortion goes away, and it plays in the clear when you get on, on the dial. And then you go back off, and it starts fading again. But the cool part is, is that I parse all the radio stations, all the song lengths, I cache all that data, and when you're playing it and tune off of the station, technically it stopped playing, but it's virtually playing in the background by just keeping track of the time. When did it stop? What is the current time? And then when you jump back in, it's, okay, it's been 10 minutes since you were on that radio station. It jumps 10 minutes down the line in that radio station. It does it so fast, it feels completely seamless, and you can literally Fling, your, fling the dial and get all the little pops and blips you have on an old school radio where it, it comes in and drops out 
Um, and then you can jump back and it'll be on that same spot. And it, uh, so I have this thing loaded now with, with, uh, I'm probably up to like 50 different radio stations where I'm grabbing every public domain list of like, you know, here's 500 jazz songs. Here's, uh, you know, from 19, 1930s to the 1950s and, and things like that. And dumping those into folders and then exploring it the same way you did an old school radio where I can jump around and, and listen to an audio drama or, or listen to even, I even got old school radio broadcasts like war broadcasts and things. So it feels like you tuned into a time machine. It's really, it's actually really quite fun to play with. Well, that's awesome. It seems like you made a lot of uh, really interesting props. Um, you know, I guess, I guess one other thing we wanted to ask you about now, I guess you make, you make accessories for Leatherman tools. Is that, is that right? Yeah, so that's that's my uh, I'd call that my side hustle. Um, so I've always been a fan of, of Leatherman tools, okay. and and use them personally. And at one point, uh, basically, uh, even before we got the 3D printer at work, I started making these uh, using Shapeways. Uh, in fact, I don't print them at work. I still print them on Shapeways because work printers for work. The Leatherman Wave I was carrying every day. I didn't like carrying it in my pocket, um, so. Rather than, I went and looked at holsters, every holster out there at the time are just big, thick leather things, and they're really bulky, and I didn't want to have that on my belt. I wanted something slick, and so uh, I ended up designing a completely form-fit, and this is this is the free P4, not the Wave, but this is, you know, for, completely form-fit around the tool. I, f I 3D model the tool to a ridiculous degree. In this case, you could take my 3D models and make your own P4. Um... 3D model the tool, then this is precision wrapped around it with very small tolerances and a nice clicky sound, and, and it actually clicks in, so there's no rattling wow. and things like that. That's amazing. That's 3D printed by Shapeways, I guess. Is that using the same sort of process that you were talking about earlier? Exact exact same technology. So this is this is Nylon 12, the same, the same kind of uh, printing technology which allows me to do, again, things that are impossible to do. There's internal features that are holding the ratchet driver in here, which is actually quite secure. There we go. Um, that allows me to, to have these things dock and, oh, and, yeah. and be a, a good fit and is lightweight. So, so how much would one of those, those uh, how much are you selling those for? Uh, the holsters sell for, depending on the size of the tool, they sell from 35 to 55. I make a small fixed profit on each of these that I basically have set, and the uh, Shapeway sets the prices for the rest. Uh, what's one reason it's form fit is that when you go to a bureau, you're paying by volume. The amount of space the this takes up in their print and the amount of material it takes is what they're interested in, and so it's, it's, it's optimized. But the cool part is because this is 3D printed, I sell this in over 50 different variations and combinations. Belt holsters, with and without ratchet drivers, uh, horizontal carry, things that attach to metal clips if you don't uh, want to trust the plastic, things like that. So so, so does Shapeways actually build it and then fulfill orders or yeah. you, do you have stock of that? No, they build, every single one of them is built on demand wow, and shipped that's, out. That's interesting. Uh, I prefer it that way. Um, there's a lot, le lot less uh, overhead and a lot less uh, um, liability and other things that go along with that. I've, I've researched pr printing them in mass, selling them on Amazon. I'd have to take quite a bit of profit hit to do that. I might sell more, but I'd also have a heck of a lot of overhead of packaging and fulfillment to Amazon and things like that. Again, I could, and then I couldn't offer it on Amazon in 50 different variants. I mean, I couldn't stock that many. 
uh, especially because I offer it for like 10 different tools. Well, yeah, I'm surprised, you know, because they must do a pretty, their 3D printing must be pretty reasonable price-wise because, I mm -hmm. mean, for $35, if you're making a profit on that, that's, you know, that's nice. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. Yeah, like I said, it's not a, hu not a huge profit, but it, it funds the hobbies. And then Shapeways also does the metal 3D metal 3D printing. So this little part here is a modification. This is actually my most popular product, which is adding a bit holder to the Free P4. So the Free P4 is one of their highest dollar uh, kind of fanciest tools. And then it's got some of the, unfortunately, it's got some of the worst implements as far as doesn't have the diamond file, doesn't have interchangeable bit holders, things that the Wave has that I wanted to have with the P4. And so I basically added those back to my to my own tool, which is really what I made all this stuff for. And then now uh, I can use it to kind of fund my hobbies and, and as a little side they, business. They put the word free in one of their most expensive tools? Yes, I think it's a horrible <laughs> name for, for, yes, it's the free P4. So I don't know. Uh, they did it. I can in, afford that. It's free. Yeah, the funny part is they called it they called it free, free is in freedom and and uh, and you know I'm I'm the one enabling freedom I'm allowing you to change to change your tool. Um, among among tool heads, there, there's people that really like this stuff. Um, there, I I have to kind of stay I have to purposely stay away from from some of that because the everyday carry knife collecting groups. Um, they they can get into collecting every little thing that they can get their hands on, and so I get people like asking, you know, hey, can you can you make me a holster, you know, for this flashlight, or can you add on this accessory? And I have to kind of say no to a certain point because yeah, that customer wants it. They think twenty other customers want it. The reality is, whenever I make something like that, uh, the funny part is I usually don't make it until five people request it. Two people will buy it. Out of those five, will buy it. Sometimes zero. And then no one will buy it for two years, <laughs> even if it's yep. available. But you don't have to. You don't have to keep inventory. So it's just you know just. I don't have to keep inventory, and I don't have to do tooling. But it is a lot of time, and uh, I like my time for my for my fun props, and and I do work on this stuff quite often. But when I but I also treat this the same way I treat all my props. I have everything documented. I 3D model all of this to ridiculous detail, and I actually create the rendering. So when you go in and you you can pick from nine different colors, I've rendered every single color. So there's 55 permutations of this tool times nine colors. Uh, it starts adding up. Where if I need to make one little tiny change and I have to re-render, that's three days of work of of going in and tweaking and then photoshopping every every single image uh, to color color calibrate it and everything. So. So it's yeah. it's a lot more work than than you'd think. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never done this exactly fulfilled by that, but you know, I I did a Kickstarter last year, and it was it was more work than I realized. I thought it would be, even though yeah. I've been told it was a lot more work than I thought it would be. I guess it's like you you do it, and then you actually know, know a little bit. But I mean, with with you though, you're not you're not stocking any of the inventory, so that's got to be that's got to make it a little bit nice, at least from that. It's good and bad because I can only sell I sell it on my website. Uh, which is zapwizard.com. And then uh, I also still sell them on Shapeways. The Shapeways interface on their website, unfortunately, is, is, is gotten bad, which is why I made my own, so that I could have beautiful renderings and better selection ability of the different variants. Uh, but in either case, uh, it's good and bad because uh, when pe there's a little bit of lag time, right? So since it's made on demand, the metal parts can take three to 
three to five weeks, depending on uh, what their production load is, usually three weeks. The plastic parts take two weeks. So they're not the instant overnight gratification that you that you get from Amazon. Um, mm. And so that that's the only thing that kind of irks people. But at the same time, people can now select whatever they want. They can get any combination of of holster that you can't do with any other product. You go to go look at other companies. There's there's other companies that have similar holsters, and they're either they're either printing them on an FDM machine, which is uh, much cheaper feeling. This is this feels like solid plastic, and I've had this on my belt for years, and. Uh, the worst thing I've ever had to do is sharpie it, sharpie the black a little bit. <laughs> and that's the S S L uh S S L A nylon yeah. process that they're using. Uh, selective, selective laser lithography. sintering. SLS, yeah, I keep calling okay. it selective laser sintering. Okay. I've also heard it called selective lithography. Uh, but uh to me lithography requires a little bit more. Um so yeah, selective laser sintering is is, is what I call it. And it it's the unique part, like I said, the unique part about it that I was talking about earlier is that it's much more of a monolithic material. Uh, it, there's no internal voids uh, necessarily. Uh, there can be at a microscopic level, but uh, there isn't. When you when you handle it, it feels like solid plastic. It doesn't. You don't hear that that hollowness that you get with an FDM print. Um, but it also and it's also flexible and and things like that. So. I've, so I've 3D printed a, a few product. kilograms of nylon on an yeah. FDM printer, and it's it's amazing. It's nasty. It's stringy. It drips. It drools. It's, but the parts are stupidly, stupidly, you know, solid and rigid. Yeah. Well, they're not rigid. It's kind of softish. They're fle- they're flex. It's it's flexible, fle- and there's there's different classes of nylon that that but go it's with that. Tough. The little the little strings mm-hmm. that you know when you print PLA and you get stringing and it just pops right off. I mean, you have to cut the nylon stringing off with. That's why there's, that's why zip ties, right? That's why zip ties are made yeah. of nylon and, and it's fantastic uh, stuff. And if you, if you, hand tools and things like that. <laughs> yep, and there's different classes. I think zip ties are nylon eleven, which is a stretchier version uh, than nylon twelve. Nylon twelve is uh, a little more solid, uh, but it's still still quite flexible. I, I like I love it. Be I'm using it now that I get to have access to it. Uh, I'm just printing like even just prototypes. So even like for the uh, the Radiation King radio here, I'll print a little prototype of say my where my speaker is going to go. Make sure that fits. I don't have to print the whole thing. Um, just print a little chunk of it, um, and printing out knobs and and all and all sorts of stuff like that is always fun to do. Nice. Well, that's awesome. So if we wanted if we wanted new accessories for our our Leatherman tool, we would go to zapwizard.com. That's your, that's your website. Yep. I have, I have links to my prop projects on there too. Um, at one point I was going to kind of separate my websites into a store website and, and I just decided just to have one website because I I don't like maintaining lots of things at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's tough to know exactly, exactly what to do, I guess. Um, yeah, well, uh, well, listen, is there anything else you wanted to tell us about that we haven't we haven't asked you about anything. Uh, anything maybe we don't we don't see of you on YouTube. No, um, you guys are doing some really cool stuff. I'm checking out more of your of your podcasts. Um, you guys seem to find a really cool balance of creative people and 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 products and and things that uh, that I haven't run across before. Um, I'm I'm basically just on the Replica Prop Forum and YouTube. I used to 
hit everywhere and, and I just it just takes too much time. Um, actually, uh, you can even dig me up. Uh, Pat can dig me up because uh, I've you're you're doing the that little LED project that goes on a on the front of a computer. I am one of the old school uh, uh, PC modders. Used to do yep. run a group here in Austin called Austin PC Modders or Austin Modders. And uh, now I don't, I'm actually not PC modding anymore. My computer is really uh, quite ugly and just needed to work. But um, yeah, I would have loved your kind of stuff back then, as far as getting into to blinging out the computer with with gauges and, and stuff like that. Yep. And, and I'm terrible. I just want to. <laughs> I'd be happy with the beige box again, like I had in the nineties. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. My my computer hides under the desk over here. What I want to know is which one of you has been, have you been working your Pip-Boy for longer or Pat, have you been working <laughs> on the, the Uber uh, lights for longer? I think we're, we might be up to three years now. Yeah, no, I'm up to, I'm up three, to five two and a half. And, and it's, and it's, uh, living in Austin, Texas, or and Pat probably knows this too. Basically, uh, we hunker down for the winter and the summer. So I get to work on my projects during that time. <laughs> now it's the, now it's, uh spring i'm out i'm out doing landscaping and other things so i it's like i have this thing where i work on projects for three months and then there's like hard cut off good weather got to get outside get some stuff done and then my projects all go to the wayside and when i come back i'm interested in something else um hopefully the radiation king doesn't go away the the the, you know the nice little uh this this guy i at least finished he's a real simple project but but I have so many unfinished projects. Well, I, I finish all of my projects. Yeah, I'm sure everybody but, does. You know, well, actually, you can see, <laughs> you can see from the, I've got a list somewhere around there about all the projects that I probably won't get to. In fact, I think I, I think I erased yeah. them not too long ago just because they've. I get an itch. I, I make. I leave them on my desk, kind of forcing myself to, uh, like, hey, you better finish this and get it out of your way. I don't know, because then you know you start you do something, you get halfway done, and you're like, oh, that's. I've got a cooler project to work on, but really you just need to get I, I also, some stuff done. Because sometimes. I use it for learning, I it was like with Pip-Boy, I got all the mechanical stuff done. Um, for the longest time, I couldn't find a screen. Um, and I'm going to butcher this. Like, Pipperoni is the name of the UK uh, company similar to Adafruit. Uh, they finally re- they released a 4-inch 720p screen that just hooks up to the Raspberry Pi. And now that unlocked the Pit Boys, so that jumped me back into the project as far as, hey, I got a screen working. So then I learned Python, I learned how to do Pygame, and I wrote a GUI that works for the most nice. part. Um, and then I ran into issues with my radio, basically, the radio that was going to be on the Pit Boy. And that's when I started the Radiation King project, because it's like, okay, I need to learn this chunk of Python, and I need to learn how to interface the Raspberry Pi with the Pi Pico in order to get analog and digital together because the regular Raspberry Pi doesn't have that. Uh, so that's, it's, it's learning experiences that kind of push to the next, next project. Um, and, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the thing is a, is a fun, a fun reason to, to do it. Uh, something that doesn't exist, something that somebody hasn't done is always, is always a fun challenge. Yep. For sure. For sure. Well, uh, well, listen, um, Zap, as we call you, um, we're, we could find you at zapwizard.com yep. any, and uh, on YouTube, we can look up Zap Wizard and anywhere else, anywhere else we should look for you. I guess, I guess you said that's pretty much. Uh, just so you can dig me up on the replica prop forum, as far as that's where most of my projects live these days. Uh, the Pip-Boy project log is, is insanely long, so, uh, you can read it as a book now, um, 
some of the other projects are much much shorter. Uh, where I I I'm still kind of learn when I do YouTube. Uh, I I try to do things live. I I actually don't like editing videos. So uh, if the project's really long, it's going to be a lot of photographs and me t and me typing out on, on like the rip of the prop form or my, or my website. And only the really the short projects will I do in like a single video sure. on you on YouTube. I'm trying to trying to do more, but it's more just vlogging rather than uh, I, I, than whole projects. I get that. I don't like editing yeah. video either, but I do it. Where can we find so. you, Jeremy? Uh-oh. And, oh, and my Pat, goodness. We can find... Oh, me. Well, thank you for asking. So, yeah, you can find me. Uh, JeremySCook.com is my website. I don't post a whole lot there, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, at JeremySCook. Or if you look me up on YouTube, I'm Jeremy Cook. And also, on Tendi, I sell stuff at JCDevices.com. So, you can, I guess, find my stuff there. So, now, what about you, Pat? Where can we find you? Oh, I'm on the internet, Jeremy. All over the place. But... We'll just be lazy. If you just go to patshead.com, oh, there's links to all my other stuff there. Well, yeah, Zaps, thanks thanks so much for coming on. We uh, enjoyed, enjoyed meeting you. Yeah, thanks for making it's awesome stuff fun. that we can, we can talk about. Cool. For sure. Thank you. Bye. So, all right, take it easy.